0: Bit of this thing. Yeah, I had a little Achilles problem and they fixed it on Friday, they say, and so I'm wearing this for, uh, for a little while. Plus, uh, the doctor, when he did my little procedure on Friday, he was telling me about, I, I don't need to stand on it long, and I told him I have a really long sermon for today, and so he suggested that I sit for at least part of, uh, of that. Do not steal. Or as the King James Version says, "Thou shalt not steal." It seems so, so simple, doesn't it? it seems like it's just so easy. In fact, uh, you know, we maybe I should just stood up here and said, "Don't steal," and and let's go home. But actually, this idea of stealing has broad application. And I want you, by the way, I want you to get your uh, worship guide out. Would you write past the uh, the title of the sermon? There are some notes that I'd be thrilled if you'd follow. I think that would be, I think that would be helpful. Uh, this matter of, of stealing is not so simple and not so narrow. There are broad applications. In fact, we Christians don't always grade well when it comes to, um, when it comes to this matter of stealing. Look at that quote on your outline from Doug Sherman and Bill Hendricks, their book, Keeping Your Ethical Edge Sharp. They concluded that Christians are as likely as non-Christians to falsify income tax returns, to plagiarize printed materials, to bribe someone in order to obtain a building permit, to ignore construction specs, to shift blame for wrongdoing onto someone else. To illegally copy a computer program, or to steal from the workplace—wow! Sherman and Hendricks mentioned lots of ways that uh, one might steal—from plagiarism to bribes to construction specs. Ignoring them, let's let's talk about some other ways that that we might we might steal. L- what about something as simple as? Oh, sorry. As uh, as simple as cable or, or streaming services. Back uh, 35 years ago, we were living in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, out, kind of outside of in a rural area, kind of rural, and, and uh, we had cable run to our house. And our neighbor came over and said, hey, look, would you mind if I tap into your Cable, they, the cable company won't mind. Now I didn't know. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how. I don't know how he was going to, but somehow he was going to tap into the cable, you know, for free. And I said, I, yeah, no problem. Let me just call them and uh, and see what they say." <laughs> I never heard back from him after that. And then came Netflix and such. You might remember from May of uh, 23, just a few months ago, Netflix, the streaming service, cracked down on people who were stealing uh, their product. So as it turns out, 4 in 10 Americans were cheating, stealing, somehow stealing streaming services by using other people's codes or passwords. And so Netflix cracked down on that, and uh, they did say this was in May. They said for seven ninety nine a month, you can share it once. You can, you know, borrow somebody else's password for seven ninety nine. As it turns out, there are people still figuring out the workaround and stealing streaming services. But that's just—it's just cable. Well, uh, is it not? Is it not stealing? What about unfair business practices? The Bible uses a lot of ink to talk about unfair business practices. In the world of the Bible, of course, transactions involved, often involve scales or weights. So if you went to the, to the open market, this is kind of fun, I, I like this. You can go to the open market, and um, you'd, if you're going to buy olive oil or wheat, you would Use a scale, you know, right? They'd see, make, see how much you're going to buy, and, and it was easy to to manipulate the scales so that the the seller could cheat. They could say they were selling you a. You know, ever how much of olive oil, when in fact it was not that much. And so the Bible spends a lot of time on scales. Look at your, at your outline, Proverbs 20.10, unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination or a shame to the Lord. And Proverbs 11.1 1 tells us, a false balance is an abomination or again a shame to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Now we don't do much business now with weights, right? With scales, except maybe at the butcher shop. So, what would be the the contemporary equivalent to unfair scales? It simply may be unfair business practices. Maybe selling something for more than it is actually worth. Martin Luther, who who launched what we call the Protestant Reformation, said a Christian shoe, uh, sh- uh, cobbler, a Christian cobbler or shoemaker. Should make good shoes and sell them for a fair price. Pretty simple. We ought to be do quality work and then be fair. And I know we're not all in retail. We don't all get to we don't all get to decide the price of things, but if you do something to think about, make good shoes and sell them at a fair price, or else it it's stealing. What about um, what about not paying fair salaries? Again, I know not everybody is, gets to set the salaries of people under you, but well, we, we often hired somebody to mow the grass or to, you know, paint or whatever. If a company or, 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 or even an individual is doing the best that they can, well, that's one thing. But if a company is taking advantage of its employees by not paying fair salaries, well, that's stealing. The Bible in the book of Amos spends a lot of ink on, on this on paying fair salaries. And then on your outline, there's James chapter 5, verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to, to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. If we don't pay fair salaries, we're stealing. But let's flip that coin. What if we are the employers and we're not giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay? Are we not stealing from? Our employees, Colossians 3 is on your handout or your program. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Have a good work ethic. Chuck Swindoll, some of you know that name. He, he told a story about a teenager, who, a boy, who came into a service station and asked the service station manager if he had a payphone. You, you know, this is an old story, right? Some of you don't know what payphones are. But so, he, the, the station manager said, yeah, I have one. It's right over there. So, the teenager went over, put his quarter in the slot, had the receiver. And and disguised his voice. The service station manager was listening and could tell he he was disguising his voice. And he said, "Uh, uh, sir, could you use an honest, hardworking young man to work for you? And he waited. And then said, oh, you already have an honest, hardworking young man working for you. Okay, thank you. And he hung up. And the service station manager's listening to this. And he thought the young man would be disappointed. It sounded like he was calling, asking about a job. But when he hung up, he was grinning ear to ear, and he headed out the door humming, and the service station manager stopped him, and he said, wait, I'm confused. It sounded like you were calling about a job, and it sounded like they already had somebody working. And the, the teenage boy said, oh, yeah, he said, uh, he said, I am that honest, hardworking young man. I was just calling to check on my job. See, it's, but if you were to call, would they, would they say, yeah, you know, he or she is so honest and trustworthy and hardworking? Would they say of you and me that we have a great work ethic? Would they say of you and me that you can trust us with anything? Would they say of us that we are doing an honest day's work for an honest day's pay? If not, then we're, we're stealing. What about robbing God. I want to tell you one of the most interesting tithing stories I've ever heard or experienced. It was from our days in Richmond when I was pastor at Air Baptist. Becky, who was our accountant, came to me and said, Travis, an odd thing happened on Sunday. In our offering plate, somebody put a check written out, not to Bonair Baptist, but to St. Bridget Catholic Church. So, Becky called the one whose name and number was on the check and said, you know, I'm not sure what's going on. There was a check in our offering plate Sunday written from you to St. Bridget. And the lady on the other end of the phone was flabbergasted. She said, you're not going to believe this. Someone broke into our car this week. And and my husband had some things and some papers and journals and things in the front seat. And they stole all that, including this check. And we had that check canceled because we knew it had been stolen. Interesting thing. She said that it would end up in your offering plate. Well, Becky, our accountant, said, Travis, I've been wondering about this. How did that end up in our offering plate? So, her theory, theory was, and I think it's a good one, that somebody stole the, you know, the goods out of the front seat and ended up with a check written out to God, you know, to the church, which is kind of like writing a check to God, right? And so, this thief thought, well, I'll keep the rest of the stuff, but I'm not going to cash a check written out to God. I mean, that just wouldn't, that wouldn't be fine. So, my, our assumption was that here's one who didn't want to you know didn't want to rob god of course our question was how did that end up in our offering plate who was in worship was it one of our deacons perhaps that had stolen <laughs> had stolen the check well anyway there's a thief i think in richmond at least it was who, who was willing to rob a person but didn't but this say this check to a church well that seemed somehow sacred but we would not rob God, would we? Well, remember Malachi, some of you may know where I'm headed with this one. Malachi 3 verses 8-10, will a, mort- a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, God says, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Well, I better move on from that. Stealing is a big deal. To steal is a big deal. It's in the Ten Commandments. Integrity matters. And people are watching. One of my favorite preachers is uh, the late Buckner Fanning who was a pastor in San Antonio, Texas. He told about landing one time at the airport. He'd been on a trip. It was late. He was exhausted. He fell into his car, worn completely out. Went to the um, went to the booth at the exit of the parking lot. Handed him the ticket. The the the, the attendant that you know says how long you've been there and how much you owe. So he knew how much he owed. He paid the attendant. The attendant gave him back cash, money, cash, money. Buckner stuffed it in his pocket and drove away. But as he was. Stuffing it into his pocket, he noticed that the attendant in the booth had given Buckner way too much change, had given him a lot more money than he should have gotten in return. So Buckner's first thought is, I need to turn around and go back, but oh my goodness, it's, I'm tired and, and they'll never miss it. But then Buckner, his conscience started hurting him and his convictions kicked in and Tired though he was, he turned around and went back to the attendant in the booth and said, uh, when I left, you gave me a lot more change than you should have, and I'm just returning it. And the, the attendant said, I've been wondering if you would come back. You see, I watch your worship service on TV. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh is exactly right. <laughs> I knew who you were, and I knew I gave you too much money. I just wanted to see if you'd come back. Of course, Buckner thought, what if I hadn't? What if I hadn't? Stealing is a big deal, integrity matters, and people are watching, whether you're the man at the factory that everybody knows is a Christian, they're watching. If you're the woman in the office that everybody knows is a Christian, they're watching. If you're the student that everybody in the school knows is a Christian, they're watching. And it matters. It's not just the big stuff. The little stuff matters, too. Patrick Morley, for example, wrote about going by one of his colleagues, his co-workers home, uh, to drop off something after work, and he noticed that his co-worker had a… a pad, a notepad there with the company logo on it. And there was a strict policy, that their, their, their manual was very specific about not using company office supplies for personal reasons. And Patrick Morley said, you know, after the guy had brought it home, just a notepad. But Morley said, you know, I never did quite trust him after that. It was just a notepad. But he wondered if he would take a notepad for personal use, then what what else, might he, what else might he do? How else might he fudge? You know, how else might he bend the rules, even if slightly? People are watching, and it matters. Even with notepads, and Netflix, and, and change at the attendance booth integrity matters. Stealing is one of the big ten. So why do people steal? What, what makes people rob a bank or steal jewelry or pay unfair wages or cook the books or plagiarize someone's content or bribe someone or sell a pair of shoes for more than the shoes are worth. Of course, it's a lack of integrity. It's a, it's a character issue. It's a, it's a selfishness. It's a self-centered disregard for the well-being of other people. It is a matter of, of character. And so, it is a character issue. But I'm convinced that, that stealing is common because there's a An underlying, deeper problem than just poor character. I believe it's because there is a a pervasive and deep sense of discontent in our culture. That there are lots of people who just aren't satisfied with what we have or or who we are. I think this grows out of… Discontent. So let's talk about contentment. Some of you, like like me, are old enough to remember F. W. Woolworth. Do you remember Woolworth's Five and Dime? Some of you do. It was a big deal in the day. It was a chain. It was. A, I'm tired of sitting. It was a chain, and it was everywhere. And on Noble Street in Anniston, they had there was F. W. Woolworths. Now it houses a really nice restaurant. But when I when I'd go with my mom there, uh, I remember to the right, I'm pretty sure that was Woolworth's. There was a cafeteria where people would would could have lunch. Well, FW Woolworth, Frank W. Woolworth was a marketing genius. Before Woolworth's, when you went shopping, you went to the counter and told the clerk what you wanted. And the clerk would go to the back where the merchandise was and they would bring you out what you asked for. So, so Farmer Brown goes shopping and he says, I need boots, size nine and a half. And the clerk would turn around, go in the back, bring out boots, size nine and a half. Farmer Brown would pay for them, and that, that was that. That was Farmer Brown's shopping experience until Frank W. Woolworth brought all that merchandise from the back and put it out front so everybody could see the merchandise, and touch it, and ogle it, and want it. So, Farmer Brown goes in to get him a pair of boots size nine and a half, but he doesn't have to go to the clerk. It's all, it's all out there. And so, Farmer Brown looks for his boots, and while he's looking, he sees a pair of work gloves that suddenly he he needs. And then he sees a real nice saddle blanket for his horse and he, he gets that and then a and then a tablecloth for the missus. She would really like that, he thinks. Suddenly Farmer Brown is a shopaholic. He's just can't he just walk around. This would be nice and this. Now I'm not I'm not saying Woolworth is wrong. I like being able to look at things. I like going to academy sports or dick Sporting Goods or wherever I am, and I like nice things too, you know? I don't, think we, I don't think we ought to be misers, and I don't think we ought to wear potato sacks for clothes like they did in the, in, in the Depression. I, I, like, I like stuff. The problem is that we seem to, we want more and more and more, and we want more than we actually need. And that's not exactly news I know. But it reflects this underlying discontent that is so deep and so pervasive. The Apostle Paul wrote, and it's on your outline or your insert, your bulletin, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned. And that's important. He wasn't born with this, and it didn't come natural. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. So the Bible calls us, and this is really important. The Bible calls us away from this, this incessant and insatiable longing for more and more. The Bible calls us to trust God to provide for us and then to be content with what He provides. Let me say that again. The Bible is countercultural. It calls us away from this incessant and insatiable desire for more and more and more. It calls us, the Bible calls us to trust God to provide for us, and then to be content, to learn to be content with what He provides. Whistling Jack. Um, Some of you have been to Graffiti, by the way, up in New York City. It's one of the churches we we help partner with. and Some of you have been there on mission trips. Um, Taylor Field was pastor of that church for a long time, and he wrote about Whistling Jack. Whistling Jack was a surgeon in New York City, but his drinking problem cost him his medical practice. And, and Whistling Jack spent days now, as Taylor Field told it, in the park, which some of you all been to. That's where they do free lunch in the park. So Whistling Jack, now former surgeon, spends his days in the park, but is very content, unusually content. So, Taylor Field wrote about uh, Whistling Jack, and and what Whistling Jack said is is in your bulletin. Would you look there, please? Whistling Jack said, if your needs are small, it doesn't take much to make you happy. People are always talking about whether the cup is half empty or half full. Maybe there's a third alternative. Maybe the glass is too big. You see, if you had a smaller container, if your needs were smaller, you'd have a glass flowing over. huh?" Quite the philosopher, if your needs were smaller, you'd have a glass flowing over. Let's learn to be content, or as Whistling Jack would say, get a smaller glass. But Travis, I'm guilty. I've stolen. It might have been Netflix, or it might have been a notepad, or it might have been something bigger. So Travis, I'm guilty of of being a thief, but there's a good story about thieves. Two of them hung suspended between heaven and earth. One of them joined in the mocking of Jesus who hung also on a cross. One of them joined in the mocking. The other threw himself on the mercy of the man in the middle. And to him Jesus turned and said, today you will be with me in paradise. To him, to that thief, Jesus extended grace, unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. And that's the beauty of the good news of Jesus is he still extends grace to thieves. Thieves who are on crosses and thieves who are bosses. thieves in the back alleys, and thieves in the boardrooms. To thieves he extends grace. And if we, we would experience that, that, that unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love that is so deeply satisfying, I think we'd be content and we wouldn't, we wouldn't have to steal. The Bible calls us to trust God to provide and then to be content with what He provides. And that is sweet to trust in Jesus. Four. 570 is our hymn. 570 is our hymn. We sing so that you'll come. This morning, a family of four joined in our early service. Maybe a maybe you, an individual or family, will come join in this service. We're going to wait down here just for you to come. This morning, a, a A young lady was baptized, maybe you have decided to follow Jesus, but you've not gone public. Would you come and let us celebrate that with you? Other people are going to be singing, but three of us are going to be waiting down here for you. Would you come? Let's stand please.